Before we get started, the usual reminders that you can follow the podcast on Twitter at MeasureablesPod. You can follow me at Brendan Kent, and you can subscribe to the newsletter at MeasureablesPod.com forward slash newsletter. On today's episode, I'm joined by Stephanie Kovalchik, who is a data scientist at Zealous Analytics and is known for her excellent tennis analytics research. This is Measurables. All right, Stephanie, it's uh, it's great to have you on. This is the first episode that is really focused on tennis, so I'm excited to really get into that today. But I want to start with your background. When did you first become interested in, and get involved in sports analytics? Yeah, well, first, thanks for having me on. Really excited to um, bring tennis to the show. So, um, yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, looking back, it's um, it's it's kind of hard, I guess, to pinpoint exactly like how all of the different pieces came together. But I, I mm-hmm. guess probably, you know, I would have to say, yeah, I probably started where just, you know, just having a love uh, for sport. And mm-hmm. um, I played a lot of different things, N- nothing particularly well, but <laughs> I did enjoy I was just being out and sort of being physical. And it was something that um, as a girl, like, being able to play sports with my dad was something that was a really nice way that I kind of bonded with him. So I think there was always just something, you know, positive around sport. Um, and I guess the other piece of it is just, um, you know, pretty early on getting interested in science. And so, um, you know, when I was in classes, I mean, I did really enjoy Um, math and science I was kind of always just really intrigued with like how stuff worked I just remember you know the things that stood out in my mind were like a physics class where we would build you know a a smart car and um, that kind of stuff was always the things that I you know gravitated the most to so I knew pretty early on that I I wanted to be a scientist Um, and then but it was quite quite a while actually before I really got into stats. I mean, I went all through undergrad and it wasn't really until I started a research project um, after I finished up an undergrad, I just spent a year doing uh, primary research where I was working in a neuroscience lab. And we were kind of doing this um, project where it was combining um, sort of a social science um, initiative that was doing more imaging work to try to understand decision-making so we were working with a group of social scientists and cognitive scientists, and that was all really, you know, fascinating stuff. And um, but there was a lot of data collection that we did, and then when we got to the point of the analysis, I just realized that, you know, I did not know <laughs> the best way to do that, and felt like there was just this huge gap. And then once I started to um, to study to try to be able to complete this this project and be able to draw, you know, reasonable conclusions from our uh, study. Uh, I just got really fascinated with that side of things because it just seems so fundamental, you know, just just like math as well, right? That it was just something that everyone could potentially use in a, n- a number of applications. And so mm-hmm. I really wanted to do more on the stat side and then um, decided to go back to grad school. And um, so I would say it was probably around grad school where the link between kind of my interest in sport 
and the stats that I was studying started to come together. So um, I, I guess that's kind of kind of the origins and then actual opportunities to like put that to work probably just started to come around a few years later, I would say. But at least as far as like the, I guess, nascent ingredients that were there, it was, it was probably those things. Yeah. And, and so it sounds like, did you develop most of your, your technical skills in school or did you develop them, you know, afterward, I guess, and also what, what was your grad degree in and how did you tie that back to sports ultimately? So, yeah, so my, my undergrad was actually, it was biology. And then when I um, did this research work and that kind of prompted my interest in stats, I went into a master's program at UCLA in biostats. Um and that was kind of nice because it seemed like, oh, I, you know, I have this interest in in sort of the biological sciences. So that was seemed like a really good tie of of those two major interests. Um, so yeah, I was definitely doing a lot of formal work, but I do think that you know, well, first in that in that period when I was just working on research, you know, that was all of that studying and and period was was pretty independent. Um, and then also at the time when I did my master's program, there was a big component of like the programming and computing piece that I think was a lot of more kind of independent study. It was one of these things where like a lot of the other students were getting into it and you would hear it's like, oh, I use this for this project or, but it wasn't really part of the formal curriculum at that time. Um, Mm -hmm. at least not some of the, you know, the tools that are still popular today, like, like R and Python. So I would say it was, it was a bit of a mix, like the, the fundamentals of, you know, mathematical statistics and model development was kind of through the coursework, but then um, a lot of the computing side, I think was more based on the kind of independent work and mm-hmm. sort of side projects that helped to develop that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, makes sense. Um, and so now you're you're at Zealous Analytics. What was your sort of path there professionally between between grad school and your and your current role? So um, the path it started out. I was on a very traditional biostats path, um, at least for somebody like. Eventually, I, I started out with my master's, and then I really enjoyed the research side, which I had already kind of done as an undergrad anyway. And so it seemed kind of natural to continue on to the, um, the PhD program. So I, I stuck around at UCLA to do that. And, um, and after I finished, um, I went on to a postdoc at the National Cancer Institute where I was part of the biostats branch. And, um, and that was really amazing. I mean, I got to work on, um, entirely new modeling problems and actually see the possibility for, those to, you know, make an impact because, um, you know, there were a number of programs that the NCI had where the academic work that was happening, that research could um, be used for things like um, screening tools. And so, mm-hmm. um, so that, that was a really, I think, important um, growth period for me. Um, so that was a, a, over about two years. And during that time, it was a lot of, I think my main focus was primarily around like risk prediction models for doing risk prediction. And, um, and then um, I was looking after that for a more like longer term position. And again, I was still totally in health. And um, 
And I wanted to go back to the West Coast, um, and I found a great opportunity at the RAND Corporation. So within their stats group, um, I could do um, both primary methods development and also get to work on a variety of projects um, for more um, application, research, and specific policy areas. Um, And that's what I thought I was going to do for my career. That was the plan. Um, and it just happened that, you know, I had a bit more time during those, those days, you know, being out of grad school, like I didn't feel like I had to exactly study around the clock anymore. So, (laughs) um, but you know, funny enough, it's like, I still, I love the work that I do. So my side projects were still basically data science side projects. Um, but I was starting to, um, apply them to tennis and I think it just kind of, it, was a good fit for me just because um, tennis was a sport I had always followed um, the most closely. So I think I played a bunch of different stuff, um, you know, as a kid, um, including tennis. I wasn't, you know, particularly good at it. <laughs> um, but it, I don't know, as a fan, like it was something that as a spectator, like I always was really fascinated. So I love playing it, but I also love watching it. Um, yeah. And I, I guess that made it a good fit, like from a fan point of view. And then obviously, like once, you, once you've done enough stats, you kind of like, you know, your stats brain is like applying it to everything in your life. Yeah. <laughs> so it was just easy to start to kind of wonder, oh, you know, what kind of data is out there? What are the sort of questions, you know, that more quantitative um, people are applying to tennis? And there wasn't a lot going on. So it was a pretty open, open yeah. frontier to, to explore some things. Um, so it was, yeah, it was my time at RAND. Like I was starting just kind of doing some side projects in, in what I guess we now would call tennis analytics, um, uh, which, you know, really didn't exist at that time. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that was, that was kind of what get me started on the actual sports analytics, but I realize it's still a bit of a ways from there to how I ended up at Zealous. Um, but, uh, but that, that was the start. It was like, it's sort of the classic story that you hear now, right. Where, um, you know, some of the people that got kind of early on to that, that first wave of opportunities doing stats and sport, it was often like it started as a side hobby or passion and somehow they were able to find a way to share that either through, you know, at, I guess like with Bill James, right. He was actually writing like things in print, Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but now, right. It's normally like a blog or you're tweeting something and, um, and, and that's enough often to help let people know that, you know, you're thinking about these kinds of things that you're approaching it from a, this quantitative mindset. Um, and, um, and that's, yeah, really what, what it was for me and then just finding more opportunities to connect with other people in that area uh, is kind of how I first started to think that oh this could actually be something I could do as a career Mm -hmm. and so you end up at Zealous now and and I want to come back and talk talk about a little bit later but you know in your current role at Zealous are you focusing primarily on baseball tennis both a variety of sports i know that you know baseball is one of the main products else i had um dug on a while back and he mentioned that but what are some of your main focuses now professionally 
Yeah, so at Zealous, I'm I'm a senior data scientist, and in our first year, um, my role has been primarily on our baseball platform. So um, yeah, so some of the things that that Doug had probably covered um, have been you know the central part of of my work there. Um, what's been really exciting is. Um, you know, one, the kinds of problems that we work on, like we um, get to apply the same rigor that we get in like a more maybe academic, we're used to it in a more academic settings or like a statistician mm-hmm. working at yeah. a place like, like Rand or at a university. Um, we're able to do that kind of level of research, but then we also, you know, carry it through into um you know, a product that's actually usable by, by teams, like ultimately. And, um, and it's really exciting to, to see that kind of translation piece, um, to be a part of it, you know, to see other team members, um, contributing to that and like it all coming together into something that's quite addressing really complex problems and being able to do it in like a deep and rigorous way, I think is a pretty, um, unique, part of the the work that that we do and what makes it really compelling um mm-hmm. it's also interesting to see that even though i don't have the kind of depth of um you know background in in baseball as some of um the rest of the team but coming from another sport um it's you know it's interesting to see how similar a lot of the the problems can be and also some of the like the cross learning, I guess, that you get, like when you realize that things like so much, for example, of a lot of our problems we have to deal with, you know, the batter pitcher matchup. And there's yeah. a lot there that's not, you know, in an abstract way that you can find parallels with, you know, the server receiver matchup in tennis. And like, you just kind of start to see these kind of common themes across, um, across board, which are all like inherently these competitive environments and, and all of them, even in tennis where it's, you know, often simpler, but like still one of the basic problems that we have is attribution, like, you know, attributing value to specific actions. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, one version that that can take is one player versus another, or it can come down, you know, to even more granular things like um, a very specific decision that they made, like taking a step, like in this direction versus another, you know, because it's like, we want to be able to assign value and be able to say, was that the right thing to do at that time. And so that's a really common problem in sport and I mean, other fields as well. So it's, um, it actually is nice like to be in um, a collaborative environment where people have a whole mix of experiences across multiple sports. Cause I think in the end we get to um, better solutions more quickly by having all of this kind of diversity of, of background and experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That that makes a ton of sense. Um, I want to switch gears now and, and really dive into tennis tennis analytics. So, just to, starting, I guess, very broad. What, how would you describe the the current state of tennis analytics? You know, from thirty thousand feet. So I would say that it's still. Um, I mean, tennis. It's kind of an interesting one because, as far as the the data, like. <laughs> It turns out that tennis was actually pretty early, an early adopter of tracking systems, which are what we think of now as some of the most like cutting edge types of data in sport, right? Where you get positional information about 
the ball and the player throughout a competitive event. Um, so it was it was quite early in having that kind of data available across um, professional matches, like throughout throughout a season. Um, so it's now it's been about fifteen years since that's been like regularly collected at a top level um, in the sport. Um, but you know when you actually look at the kinds of um, analysis that comes in in commentary or the kinds of services that are available to individual players and coaches, um, you know, a lot of that is still not utilizing that information. Like hmm. there, there aren't, there aren't really tools that even the best players in the world can go to where they can regularly see, um, you know, data driven stats um, based off positional data about, you know, what they're doing in matches, what their opponents might be doing. Um, so it's kind of amazing to think that despite like the, the collection of that data, um, how long that's been going on, that there's like this massive gap between the kind of quality of the data that's there and like the quality of analysis that's available, like in, a, in the mainstream tennis, there's a lot of academic research, um, and interesting stuff that, you know, people like me, um, you know, like um, um, Jeff Sackman on heavy topspin um, is doing a lot of academic researchers at universities who have interest in sport have taken on interesting things. You're starting to see more, more stuff being done in like the computer vision machine learning space um, where tennis is, is the main focus. But these are aren't things that are, you know, like tennis as an industry or business doesn't know anything mm -hmm. about. It's not making an impact on like the sport itself, um, at least not, not now. And so there, there does seem to be a, a big gap in that, in that respect. And I think it's because there's just a data accessibility issue that tennis has that a lot of the other major sports in the world, um, you know, haven't had to the level that, that tennis does and that's kind of held back the ability to get you know some breakthrough um, product that can really make an impact on the sport directly and and do you see that changing at all or has it been changing in in recent years as analytics has just very generally become more popular and more used in other sports or is it still sort of stuck in the state where you know there's not a lot of data accessibility and thus not not a lot of applications in the professional world at least yeah, I mean, you know, you'll see you'll see some things like um, there are, you know, more graphics that are, quote unquote, you know, analytics that are used during matches. But if you really think about like what's what's being shown, they're often still just very descriptive in nature. Like they're just putting up, you know, maybe locations of where the serve is landed um, mm -hmm. and then, you know, maybe doing like a summary of how often it was like in one section of the court versus another, but, um, you know, but that's just describing the raw data. Like there's, yeah. there's nothing there that's attempting to like separate out the fact that like, well, maybe, you know, some of those serve locations, um, might be dependent on what the opponent is doing. So like, how do we know, um, what is the reason why there may be some apparent pattern that we're seeing or not, you know, like this, the general problem with drawing inferences from 
what's observed when it's not controlling for any of these contextual features that mm -hmm. can um, contribute to why, you know, one particular outcome was the way that it was. So, so without any model-based work, right, you're missing that, that whole piece to really identify patterns or do that, that attribution mm -hmm. that I was talking about that's, like, the basic thing that we really need to be able to do to, like, evaluate the quality of, of choices. Um, mm -hmm. so, so that's, that's the thing that, um, there's, there's still a real gap. And, um, I think, you know, it's tricky to see like how that will change because there's really no current incentive to change the like data ownership and accessibility problem, at least from like within mm -hmm. the sport itself. So it seems like something would have to happen from the outside, like where either there's just a new way of collecting comparable data, um, which you could imagine happening because there are a lot of these like off the shelf um, AI tools now um, that are doing object detection in real time, you know, from video and pretty complex object detection. So, I mean, it seems like, and I, I'm sure there are a lot of existing companies that are trying to do this where you can automate mm -hmm. the tracking of the ball or where, you know, players are positioned. So, you know, potentially that could get to a point um, where it's maybe competitive with some of the information that the camera-based systems are, are collecting. Um, and that seems like maybe the most, um, the most possible, like it seems more likely that, that the AI tools will catch up enough where they're competitive with the camera system based off of just broadcast video um, versus like that the politics and um, sort of structure of tennis would change in such a way where the data that it already has would be, become more open. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how I see it. I think, you know, I think it will change. I think it just is probably still going to be slow and depend a bit more on the computer vision AI development than anything happening internally within the sport. Mm -hmm. So, you know, among people like yourself that, that are actually working with the data and are doing the analysis, what would you say are, are some of the most common metrics or sort of the core types of analysis that, you know, as a tennis fan who may not be as acquainted with the analytics side of it ought to know? What is I thinking of like soccer, for example, expected goals is the, the metric that's sort of moving into the mainstream and people are starting to understand it. I, what is the equivalent of that for tennis? Well, I think one of the things that I'm really excited about is this whole area of um, of generative modeling, where you can actually think of um, an event as as complex as say um, the outcome of a shot. You know, considering both where players are positioned and the trajectory of the shot, where you can think of that as almost like a discrete thing because you have the ability to model that event in its entirety. Um, and so that's a, that's an area where I think there actually hasn't been that much. I mean, you hear about generative models more in, in kind of the machine learning area where it's still stuff that's based off of, you know, complex architectures involving like neural nets. Um, and and that's fine. I mean, that is a valid way of of building these things. But I think there's still a lot of like model based ways of doing it. And tennis just happens to be one where it's particularly um, 
kind of an easy area of applying them just because so much of the movement, particularly when you think of the time scale of a shot, is quite smooth. Like, you know, the the pattern of the um of the flight of the tennis ball, you know, it can be summarized quite well by like smooth functions without mm-hmm. really any loss of information. And then equally players are generally you know, moving in in smooth directions because you're trying to get from, you know, point A to point B um, in an efficient and effortless way (laughs) as much as you can. So, um, so, so models that can kind of represent that, I mean, what's really interesting is that once you can do that, then some of these um, metrics like an expected shot value um, or attributing um, value to any particular um, action that's captured within that that shot event um, mm-hmm. becomes much more possible. So, like I, one of my my last um, projects when I was with um, Tennis Australia was to develop the, an expected shot value based off of this kind of generative model framework, and that's the work I was most proud of, and and I still think like is really only the first step in a lot of additional, um, um, you know, measures, developing measures off of that kind of modeling. So some of the initial things we did is like, in addition to um, being able to value individual shots, um, you could do things like you could um, be able to attribute value to the impact player by um, essentially um, controlling for their opponent's behavior. So you you could derive shot value measures that were independent of what the opponent did or effectively against, you know, another way that you see something like this is where you like put up sort of a straw man, like replacement player. It's the same principle, right? It's like you marginalize them out, right? Because you're just trying to talk about the individual contribution of, um, of let's say the server or a shot made in a rally. So that's kind of like the first like easy win with a model like that. But there, yeah. but you, the cool thing is that um, you can do this, you know, with with anything that's measured by that that represent how you're representing that shot, um, which you know could in- include the position of the players, how well that they move. So those all become points where you could also, you know, isolate them and try to identify like their specific contribution to, to outcomes. And you can imagine any one of those things becoming its own, you know, statistical metric of that thing. So it might be more of like, uh, if you're just focusing on what the opponent is doing, then it could become kind of defensive um, measure of, of their receiving ability um, versus a more offensive thing based on what like the impact player is doing. Um, So Yeah. So I would say that's kind of the area that I think is kind of the most exciting one from an analytics point of view and would really be like a massive step over this like purely descriptive focus that the sport tends to take. So you mentioned earlier that not a lot of players or professionals are actually using analytics, but if they were, if you were say like in charge of advising a particular player using analytics, what types of metrics and what types of you know, research or would you conduct to help them? I guess, what are the use cases for a player with analytics that you think they could derive value from? 
I mean, so the type of the type of um, model that I was just describing, I think, would be the core part of any kind of tactically focused tool, mm-hmm. like a tool that was trying to help decision making around strategy. Because um, if you could imagine, um, basically, the component that I described would be a key part of something like a, you know, a Markov decision process, where you could build in, you know, rewards um, with um, you know, the fine grained decisions that are captured by, by a tracking system. And once you can do that, those are all of the pieces that you need to be able to talk about like optimal choices in any Mm -hmm. given context. And the cool thing is like, because you've got this generative model, you can actually create um, situations that haven't necessarily happened and do that against like specific matchups of players Um, so if it's like, if I had all of the data throughout the season (laughs) to do this, that would be my first thing for any tactical product (laughs) would be, I I would build out, you know, this MDP, um, and, and then I guess it would be, you know, highlighting, um, the key kind of decision points. Like, obviously I think players, they focus a lot on the serve, the serve return. So that would be the obvious areas where, you know, you're probably going to get those, those shots, you know, tend to be the ones that are used in most points. So you'd want to, you know, really focus on like, what, um, what is there to gain? How can I add to my match wins based on the choices I'm making there and making it, you know, specific to opponent matchups. So that, that would be key to the tactic side. And I guess the whole other piece though, that players have to be really conscientious of is um, their fitness. I mean, we've seen this already Mm -hmm. at the AO, um, like injury, it's, that's probably one of the hardest problems in sport. Um, and I think a lot, there's still a lot, um, that players could benefit from by just kind of being able to get more feedback about the kind of movement that they're having in matches as, especially around like the intensity and being able to contrast that in a way directly against what they do in training. Cause one of the things that's kind of crazy is that you know, not only is there very limited information that players get from matches, but it's like also completely different than the kind of information they have available in training. And so it can become really challenging, even like just from experience alone to kind of say like what a match feels like they're having to rely on feel for everything. It's like, what it, what does it feel like? Is it, does this feel intense enough that I'm preparing myself? Well, it's like, it's all quite like a bit vague, like what's actually going on. So just being able to have um, even even descriptive measures that were more regularly taken around a player's movement, I think would be something that would be um, really beneficial for like benchmarking training and also potentially, you know, flagging anything that might be um, potential risk for, for injury. Mm-hmm. So, so I guess tying this, the whole injury discussion reminds me of I mean, you, your background is in biostat. Uh, do you ever, you know, relate back to any of that work in the past? You know, thinking about the sports science aspect, the injury prevention aspect, or are you focused more on the like a you know event data as opposed to you know the actual physical performance sports science side? I mean, I think one of the ways where that background has actually been um, really helpful, I think it's kind of in more general ways, like not necessarily with specific models. I mean, obviously some of these 
like regression, hierarchical models, all of that's really, those are all really relevant tools and not specific Mm -hmm. to, to the biosciences by any means. But I think one of the areas where the health sciences has spent a lot of time as far as the stats methodology that's turned out to be quite useful is more around um, causal inference and Mm -hmm. just being really aware of the the biases with observational data and how that can sometimes interfere with trying to get to, um, you know, an accurate estimate of the thing that we're interested in. Um, So that one, and, and that was something that both at, at the NCI and at RAN in particular, where RAN, I mean, they've done a lot of like contributions to the just primary development around causal inference methods. And I was so thankful for having the time there that I did because that's been something that I think just almost making me like, I just have like a little bias alarm. I feel that goes off with like any data set that I see for the first time, just kind of looking for like, what, where are the hidden biases to what I'm trying to do? And I just feel like all of that, yeah, training just put me in the right, I guess, mindset for that and has really been helpful um, when there have been times when it seems like, oh, that could potentially be a concern for the the question that we're trying to address, um, at least having some sense of, of the tools um, that we would need to try to better address that than we might with maybe more um, standard methods that that don't account for for those biases. So, so that's the one that definitely stands out to me just looking back. And so I, I, I think that makes, I think that makes ton of sense. And I love how you can basically tie all these things back to very specific, uh, very specific type of roles you've had in the past. Um, so I, I want to finish up on the, the tennis front, just very general question. What are some of the, the, biggest challenges in, in tennis analytics. I feel like every sport has like something that's hard to quantify or some rule that makes it difficult. But what is that for tennis? What are sort of the quirks that you're thinking about constantly? Well, I mean, the big one I think we touched on, right, is just with the the lack of data openness is definitely mm-hmm. its biggest challenge, I think, for advancement in analysis. But but let's say assuming that that all of the data was there, I think one of the things that just the, the nature of the sport itself makes challenging from an analytics point of view is that um, there's a real concern. When you're thinking about, um, about more on the questions around strategy and tactics, um, mm-hmm the head-to-head becomes a big thing. And I feel like anybody that was trying to make a data science product for a coach or a player, like it's always going to come back to the importance of the head-to-head, like the matchup against, Mm -hmm. you know, a player and an opponent. But in reality, Mm -hmm. a lot of these players do not play each other that much. And that's just the nature of tennis with these like single elimination tournaments, you know, everybody playing different parts of the world and sometimes different levels, like, that can be, um, you know, a real, a real barrier. I mean, even I was really shocked, like even, um, with some of the matches, um, at, at the AO in the past week, like it's been, it's been kind of amazing that some players like Serena Williams and Sabalenka have never actually played each other until now. It's like, how did this happen? And so, um, that I think comes up quite a lot where you end up like when you just talk about being able to get at that m- possible matchup effects that you're actually in a small sample size problem. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I think that's a really interesting one 
for tennis and would be tricky for a lot of the tactical questions you might be interested in um, yeah. doing analysis around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. I mean, that it reminds me of, um, you know, my background's in, in soccer analytics and a lot of the challenge with measuring the strength of teams is that you have teams in these different leagues and they never play you know, between leagues, like a team in North America never plays a team in Europe, except on very mm-hmm. rare occasions. And so it's, you know, it's hard to figure out how good they necessarily are relative to each other. And I, I can, I can see how that must be pretty, uh, pretty similar in tennis. Um, so you mentioned, I think a couple things earlier, but what are some of your favorite tennis analytics resources besides your own blog, which I've, I've spent a little time on, I think is, is awesome. Where would you recommend someone go if they're interested in learning more about tennis analytics? I mean, I think the work that Jeff's been doing um, on his um, his blog, Heavy Topspin, and through the Tennis Abstract. So both of those are created by Jeff Sackman and and maintained um, by him. I think that's all been um, probably some of like the biggest um, kind of individual efforts to mm-hmm. contribute to to, te- to tennis analysis. Um, so I, I'm really impressed with that. And I think that's, that's probably, those are probably the best, like single resources out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, so that would be the thing I think, you know, if anybody's just coming to this fresh that you definitely would want to go to. Um, mm-hmm. I think there, there's been some interesting academic work as well. That's been presented at Sloan, like so a few tennis papers that have made it into the Sloan conference over time. Mm-hmm. Um, that are good sources to see. Um, um, there's been some really interesting computer vision work that's been done recently in groups like at Stanford's robotics group, um, you know, where they're doing more on the side of actual data capture and modeling from the information that they're getting from just broadcast vision. Um, so I would say there's kind of a mix of um, sort of um, some tennis blogging, but then also some interesting um, cases where tennis is used as an application area by mm-hmm. by scientists whose primary work might be in in machine learning or or more traditional stats. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And real quick, why why do you think that is? You think it's just because of the the nature of the sport? It's it's a fairly simple application relative to some something in nature that you know I, I find sports are just generally easier because there's a more controlled closed system is is that why or is there other reasons you think that tennis tends to be applied you know people tend to use it as an application of computer vision other other things yeah I mean I guess um I don't know that it's that it's necessarily more than than other sports I guess maybe there's more more public facing things. And part of that might just be because a lot of the, a lot of sports have just gotten crowded quite quickly in the analytics yeah. space, right? Cause there's just a lot of, a lot more people comparatively working yeah. on them. So it, it may partly be because it's, there's kind of immediate novelty because a lot of the stuff um, that people might be interested in haven't necessarily been done in tennis before. There isn't anybody like working on that. So I think, yeah, I think that helps. Um, but you're right. There probably is something as well to um, it being, I think, a sport that's fairly easy um, to understand the rules of. Um, it's, you know, there are fewer players compared to team sport. So that can help kind of simplify the task um, that somebody might be applying. Um, 
So I think I think that combination of factors probably makes it a good kind of testing ground for mm-hmm. for some of these um, these areas. There may be things also around you know if they're if they're having to get a resource for broadcast video, um, maybe there's something about you know the availability of full matches like on YouTube or something that makes it easier to to build up a decent um data set for for training compared to other sports where maybe there are more rights around around good quality vision that would prevent yeah researchers from doing that so i guess probably all those things have to have to play a role Mm -hmm. yeah that that makes sense um so last last question and, and one that i ask everyone what advice do you have for someone um, you know, looking to launch a career in sports analytics or or tennis analytics specifically? I would say to, um, to first, I mean, explore a lot of different areas. I think, mm-hmm. um, at least from my own experience, kind of coming to the sports analytics side of my, <laughs> of my life fairly late was actually beneficial. I mean, I think I kind of bring a unique background um, that's that has been helpful in ways. So I think mm-hmm. definitely, um, you know, being, being, being more expansive in your interests can actually be beneficial. I know sometimes mm-hmm. there's a, a real focus on like specializing, but I think especially early on um, that um, you should feel comfortable with exploring a whole range, a range of interest. Um, mm-hmm. And then I guess the the big thing is, you know, finding, um, finding the right medium to, to share your ideas and just start getting into projects right away. Like, I, I think sometimes people feel like they need very like specific conditions or like, oh, I need a mentor yeah. or, um, I need to be in an environment with people maybe to get started. And I think that, you know, there's so much interesting data that is available, um, that, you know, there's a lot of questions I think that you can just go after and, um, and, uh, yeah. So I think really let your interest drive you, you know, rather than maybe focusing on, um, trying to follow the exact path of someone else or, um, that I think a lot of the, the good things that have come in my career have really been ones where it's just been driven by pure curiosity and just, you know, taking the time to try to um, actually address questions um, Mm -hmm. with the tools that I have available and being willing to maybe add new tools (laughs) to the toolbox if if I was lacking in those areas. So um, yeah, so I think that's probably um, the best advice that I could give. Yeah, absolutely. I 100% agree. Um, but anyway, it's it's been great to have you on. I, you know, tennis has been a massive blind spot on this podcast since it started, and and I really appreciate the uh, the awesome introduction to analytics and tennis that you gave. Thank you. Yeah, it's been a pleasure, and I hope um, yeah there will be many other guests that you'll have to talk more about tennis <laughs> as well. But I'm glad that I could kick things off. <laughs>